Welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. And today's episode, if you're listening to this as it drops, will be dropping about four days earlier than it would usually drop. Uh, Normally we drop a podcast on a Monday morning. This has been dropped on Thursday the 10th of October because today is Mental Health Awareness Day. And today's interview is with Patrick Regan, who just is a beautiful communicator around mental health and keeping well and supporting each other uh, with the complexities of life. And I wanted to drop this a little bit earlier than usual uh, because we wanted to honour today being Mental Health Awareness Day. So if you're listening to this after next Monday, you won't even notice any difference. Uh, But it's out early because we want to say something about discipleship and our emotional and mental health. So friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. I hope you enjoy this interview with Patrick. He is a phenomenal guy. Do check out his work and his ministry and any of the books he has written. Um, If this is your first time here, please subscribe to Making Disciples. This is the Straight Talking Discipleship Podcast where we don't use religious jargon. In fact, we're trying to break it down and explain it and take the complexities of the Christian faith and make them really easy to understand. So please do subscribe. Do leave us a comment, uh, share the podcast. Uh, please do communicate to all your friends that this, you know, this exists. Discipleship podcasts are hard to get out there. It's word of mouth how they get shared. So please do give this a share. Anyway, let's get on with today's topic. Uh, an interview on emotional and mental health Uh, being dropped on Mental Health Awareness Day with the fabulous Patrick Regan. Patrick Regan, welcome to Making Disciples. Thank you so much for spending this time uh, with us. Now, you've set up this new charity, and I need to keep checking how I say it because it's not an English word. And as a Yorkshireman, it doesn't flow out as naturally as it should for, for many. But uh, Kasumi, Kasugi Hope. I said that right? Kasugi Hope? You have, yeah. That's it. Kasugi Hope. Now, I'll ask you later on about where that name comes from because it's okay. such a beautiful... The background behind that name is beautiful in itself. So we'll, yes. we'll get to that. But you wrote a book a couple of years ago and it was called Honesty Over Silence. It's okay to not be okay. I love yeah. that line. It's not okay to be okay. Is that really true? Because yeah. the church yeah. doesn't seem to act like that very often, do we? No, and, and that's a real shame, isn't it? Because I feel like um, when you read the Bible, you know, um, it, it's full of people that are just real and honest. And uh, and 40% of the Psalms are laments. So are, are David crying out to God, I just don't get this. And, and I think for me as a leader, Chris, um, I was not okay. And uh, I remember, like, um, you'll probably remember this, we had the royal family at the um, at the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. I hope you caught those names as they dropped there. <laughs> and uh, they came to visit us. And, you know, my photo was everywhere. Went around the world, OK Magazine, Hello Magazine. And everyone was saying to me, oh, wow, Patrick, you're doing really well. But I remember looking at that photo and looking at that guy in the photo. And in the photo, I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, 
And yet I felt ashamed and I felt ashamed that I couldn't cope with the stuff that I was feeling. And so I didn't tell anyone. And the book, Honesty Over Silence, came on a journey where I realized that actually God's not stressed out with my honesty and that he takes us how we are. He, he loves that. And uh, and we're all broken in some ways. And, and so I just it's just a desire to be more real, more honest and more authentic. And I, I guess I've been on that journey for a number of years now. <laughs> I remember when I was at university doing my degree, there was a period of time where I just hit this rock bottom and I had to go home for a few weeks just because I needed space. You wouldn't say it was depression, but it was definitely this hit, hit rock bottom. And then about 12 years ago, at my last church, there was a period where it was it was so tough. There was moments yeah. where I just didn't want to get out of bed. Yeah. And I was quite happy just to stay there. And uh, and then in the last 10 years where we are in East London, I would say that there's, there's a hold over East London. Depression is a reality for most lives. And people who've never had problems with mental health issues somehow move to East London. And there's something about it that just starts to chip away at you. Mm. And it feels to me like it, it, it's one of those things that the church just hasn't talked about, but it's right there every Sunday or every, well, every day. It's just right there and it's avoided. Why do you think we don't talk about it? What, what's the I reason behind that? Yeah, I mean, I think when I've asked that question to people, they're scared of people judging them and they're scared of being put down. They already feel really guilty about themselves, you know, and sometimes, but particularly in church culture, you sort of feel like this victorious Christian living, you know, and we use the words should, must, ought. I should be okay. I ought to have it together. I must have it together. I should, I must, I ought. And, uh, and you know, I often say that showreel looks okay, the Facebook page may look good, but what's going on inside is really, really difficult. And yet somehow in church we've created this culture where where people are pretending they're okay, where actually they're falling apart. And, uh, and there's loads of reasons why we created that culture and it's created over many, many years. But I really feel that most church leaders I speak to, they say the biggest issue they're facing in their community at the moment is mental health. Um, whether it's within the church or outside the church, but actually sometimes within the church, it's harder to talk about because we've got poor theology that goes alongside that. Yeah. Um, so whereas people in the community will talk about mental health, um, sometimes we're in the church, we, we just don't do it. Um, it's hard to find a decent sermon on it, you know, um, and issues, emotional issues like anger. I, you know, I had a massive issue of anger and I'd never heard a sermon on it apart from Jesus and the money changers, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah. The Bible says loads about anger. Um, anger is an emotional response to pain. It's not bad to be angry. Um, the anger tells you something's wrong. Yeah. Um, and I would say to people, let anger be a visitor but not a resident. Um, that's what Ecclesiastes is talking about. And, uh, and so we've got to create a different culture. We've got to create a culture of transparency and honesty and integrity. I heard a church leader say not too long ago that depression is a medical issue not a theological issue, not, not a Bible God issue. And, and that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I would say right at the start of Genesis, Adam and Eve eat the apple and they put on fig leaves. And right at the very start of the story is humanity puts on fig leaves and pretends everything's fine when it's not. Yeah. And then we bring that into the church and we pretend everything's fine and it's not. So it's not a health issue, it's a discipleship issue in the sense of we've got to take the fig leaves off as disciples yeah. to really reveal who we are so that God and the family of God can yeah. make a difference, I guess. Yeah. 
and there's nothing more beautiful, isn't it, than someone really knowing you and loving you anyway. And obviously that's what Christ does for us, you know. And I think the root cause to a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of perfectionism is um, is shame. And, you know, shame and guilt are very different things. Um, guilt is I've done something wrong. I yeah. need to say sorry. Shame is I am wrong. And there's fundamental identity issue. And, and uh, you know, my friend uh, often describes it. I don't know if you remember whack-a-mole at the um, pier, yeah. you know, is where you whack these things. They pop up all the time and they get faster and faster and you just keep whacking them all over the place. And, and he said sometimes life's like that. Depression pops up and you feel like you've got to whack it with a Bible verse. Um, and then anxiety pops up and you've got to whack it. He said actually what you need to do to stop them popping up is turn the machine off. Um, and what is driving those things coming up is often shame. And, you know, Brené Brown famously says shame loves silence, secrecy and judgment. It has two gremlins in your head um, that will say, um, who do you think you are and you're not enough? Um, they are the two gremlins that often people struggle with. And uh, and so combat and shame is huge. And the way you combat shame is empathy and understanding towards others, but also towards yourself. Yeah. And and mental health and emotional health is right in the heart of the, the Bible, isn't it? You, you know, you're yeah. Job. Yeah. You mentioned David in the Psalms, Elijah, uh, yeah. Jeremiah. All you know, there's times when you know Moses report uh, Moses retreats into the wilderness because he's he just wants to be on his own. He's he doesn't want to be around people. So it, it, it a lot of them are the prophets as well, the creatives. You know, yeah. there's, there's a connection between the songwriter and depression, um, yeah. and the creatives and depression, and it's there in the Bible. But we yeah. almost skim past it, and we want to talk about this uh, the, these amazing things these people did, but we don't want to talk about the lowest moments of their lives. Absolutely, yeah. And unless we start doing that, then it's just another reason why the church isn't the place to be, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, there's a lot talked about um, in today's culture about resilience. And yet the people of God, you know, I was preaching on Jeremiah 29 verse uh, 11, you know, God plans to prosper you and to give you future and hope and all that stuff, which yeah. is about one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible, you know, because it was written to a people that were in exile, a people. It wasn't written to an individual. It was written to a community. And, and the fact, if you meet, read Jeremiah 28, you know, um, Hananiah has basically prophesied that you're going to be in exile for two years. And Jeremiah comes along and goes, you know what? It's 70 years. Yeah. But in that place of feeling orphaned and abandoned, you know, you've got to pray for the prosperity of the city. And you've got to you've got to um, you've got to realize there's hope within that. Mm. And uh, and I think that's what resilience is. Resilience is thriving despite adversity. Mm. It's actually realizing that those things that affect us don't affect every area of our lives. Yeah. You know, they say, as famous psychologists said, there's three P's to per- resilience. One is um, personalization. Not everything is your fault. <laughs> when things go wrong, I'm an all or nothing type of person. It's always yeah. my fault, you know. Um, two is it's not permanent. Um, hope is saying nothing lasts forever. Yeah. yeah. And is pervasiveness. Just because something goes wrong in one area of your life doesn't mean it's going to affect all of your life. Mm. And you sort of look within Jeremiah and the story of Jeremiah, and you see these guys in exile, and and God saying, you know what, it's not going to last forever. Um, and uh, and you know, it's going to be something that you're going to find hope within that. And I think yeah. that's my experience. Yeah, kind of linking with that. Then um, last year I heard you speak, and you used a phrase that I just thought was fantastic. And then I was at a conference this Easter and 
lots of people were talking about hearing you speak and you were using this phrase and it's the word flawsome. Yes. What is that about? Because it is really helpful. What is that about? So, um, Flawson came, I've got a PA who's just started working in Kintsuji Hope and she was French and, uh, she sent me this word on WhatsApp, Flawson. And I thought, oh, that's really sweet. She's made up a really nice word. Um, and I looked it up in the dictionary and it was there. And Flawson means an individual who embraces their flaws and knows they're awesome regardless, Yeah, which is amazing. And so what I have done at a lot of the end of our events, um, so I've got this little card here. Um, it says Flawsome on it. And you probably have struggled to see that a little bit. But on there is a thumbprint. Yeah. And I get uh, everyone, because sometimes in church, if you struggle with anxiety, you know, and the leader at the front goes, come forward for prayer if you've got anxiety. It's the most simple <laughs> thing in the world. You know, I'm all sitting there going, having a laugh, but I'm not going forward. So I wanted to do something that everyone could do. And so we gave everyone one of these cards and everyone's got a unique fingerprint. And uh, so people come and they just put their fingerprint on it and they take away the card. And And this card was from a kid who heard me speak at Easter, actually, with Down syndrome. And he said, I very rarely uh, can concentrate throughout a whole talk. And I rarely come away feeling so special um, because of all my challenges I have. Um, so this is my card and I want you to have it and and to remind people that they're they're flawsome that they're unique and uh, and I think it's a very special very very special for me yeah how is that um how is the, I just think in the room those moments where everybody together does something that responds that has that yeah. me too moment are the most powerful yeah. aren't they yeah totally. and um I was at an event not too many years ago where somebody said, raise your hand if somebody in your family or you yourself has cancer. And all these hands went up and suddenly there was this corporate sense of few, there are others like me. Yeah, uh, what's that like being in the room when people do that? You know, How do people respond to, to that idea that they're flawsome? I think it's like, it's just a massive relief for people. You literally see people as you're speaking, poking each other. Um, there's a lot of nervous laughter as you talk about the things that we all do, um, you know, in dealing with some of the challenges yeah. in life. And one of the, the thing is we take the floor something one step further and we have a big cross at the front. And we say, once you've done the card, why don't you come forward and just put your fingerprint on the cross? And by doing that, you're saying, I recognize that I was worth dying for. Yeah. Um, and to see five or 600 people do that, it's really moving. Um, we've had people of faith, people of no faith do it. And I think it, for me, when I was going through my tough time, it was um, my counselor said to me, she was a Christian, and she said to me, Patrick, I think you need to understand what self-compassion is. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm not really into that. I'm an activist. You know, I want to go and change the world. Self-compassion. I'm a bloke. It sounds wussy. And I don't want anyone to have an excuse not to do social justice or action and evangelism. And she was like, you have totally misunderstood what self-compassion is. And she said, you know, self-compassion and self-indulgence are two really different things. Mm. Self-compassion is talking to yourself the way that you would talk to your best friend. Mm. and uh you know it's a bit like i mean we've been friends for a number of years and it's a bit like if you rang me up and said you know i'm having a tough time in bow this has happened that's happened um i wouldn't turn around to you and go oh come on chris it's a good gig you yeah. know a little bit pull yourself together yeah um, i dream of saying that to you but i say that stuff to myself all the time every day 
happened every single day. Yeah. I am my biggest critic. Yeah. And so I'm learning to actually go, is that true? You know, mm. you know, to get curious almost about the way I'm thinking. Yeah. And I think that's really helpful. And, and you're 100% right. Once you realize you're not on your own, you know, Elijah, when he was like, he said to God, take my life, I've had enough. I'm the only one left. <laughs> mm. And God was like, actually, there's 7,000 prophets that's in good. hiding. Um, how, how does this link then with, um, so Paul says, the old has gone, the new has come. You are a new creation. So in Jesus, we're new. Yeah. Uh, surely the, the old flawed bit has gone. So don't we just power on as perfect people? Yeah. Like what? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding around that because I think it's this this whole thing around the now and the not yet. You know, that's what the kingdom of God is all about, isn't it? Is yeah. that sense that Christ has come. There is hope. You know, it's a bit like that verse... Um, be perfect because my father is perfect, um, be perfect as I am perfect, and all that stuff in Matthew 5. And people really misunderstand that because like, well, what it's actually saying is, is, is it, you know, we don't understand it in our language. It's like it's growing towards, you know, Romans, he works things together for good. Mm-hmm. It's a process. He's working things together. They're not all good. Not all bad stuff is good. Um, and so I really think it is about this now and not yet, the process, that, that sense of being in, in that place of tension sometimes and working it through. And, you know, in other parts, Paul goes, I don't need to be informed, brothers. I am yeah. shit-wrecked. I am beaten. I am near death. Um, yeah, he was quite a realist. He didn't mix his yeah. words in that sense. So we have to take scripture in, in the whole. I. I preached on that passage a number of years ago and this guy comes up to me who was a Greek scholar and said, Chris, I just want you to know that when it says new there, it doesn't mean new as in a brand new baby or a brand new yeah. car. It means renewed. The best way of translating it would be recycled. Yeah. yeah. And for me, that was incredibly yeah. helpful in this idea that yeah. in Christ, nothing is lost of us. Yeah. All of our broken bits are still there, but somehow he binds them together in a way that brings about a renewed thing that yeah. is more beautiful than it was before yeah and that's and, exactly the kintsugi image yeah so, that's so this, this is a good moment you tell us about the kintsugi i've realized you just say it super fast so it doesn't matter where you put the letters kintsugi kintsugi where does that come from so kintsugi is a japanese word and it basically means golden joinery and so if you break a pot we're meant it with super glue and the whole idea is you hide the cracks, right? You try and pretend it's not broken. Um, what they do in Japan is they put gold powder in the glue. So instead of hiding the cracks, they make a feature of the cracks. So arguably, the object becomes more beautiful than before. I mean, it certainly becomes more unique because you won't find an object like it on the planet now. And, and the whole idea is, isn't it, is that beauty comes from brokenness, that shame, um, scars are not something to be ashamed of. Scars are a place of healing. And uh, so we've been starting um, uh, these Kintsugi Hope Wellbeing groups. My wife um, wrote a 12-week program, uh, similar to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. around well-being. Um, and we have literally seen um, hundreds of people around the country go through these 12-week groups. Most churches run them as life groups, yeah. and they invite um, non-Christians. About a third of people that attend aren't Christians. Um, but after 12 weeks of doing life with a small group they want to stay as part of the life group the home group so churches have been growing um other churches have been amazing they've been doing it um, with women involved in prostitution uh, it's been happening in prisons um 
it's been happening with women who've been struggling with postnatal depression. Um, uh, And so suddenly this movement has just gone everywhere. And I keep saying to people, the key thing about it is, is we're not there to rescue people. We're not there to, you know, um, we're there to love people. We're there to be alongside um, a bit like Jesus on the Mayus Road. You know, he could have butted in at any point and gone, the guy you're talking about, by the way, is me. <laughs> but he let them go on that journey. And I think that going on that journey with people is so important. Help me out then. So imagine I'm struggling. We talk about winter blues at All Hallows. Uh, we, t- yeah. we talk about depression, anxiety, stress and worry every other winter. So January tends to be our, our season we talk about it. So we talk about winter blues. Imagine I'm going through a, a difficult patch right now. And God just feels distant. It feels silent. It feels like I'm wrapped up in the blanket and I have no sense of God's presence. What would you say to me? What, what could I do that would help myself? Is there a way of thinking? Is there, is there something I could respond to that would be helpful for me? Yeah, I mean, I, I often think Elijah's a good example of this. You know, he's in the pits and, uh, and he says, God, I just take my life bad enough. And, uh, and the way God responded to him was really interesting because there was no pep talk. There was no, come on, Elijah, I think of the good old days. You know, Carmel was pretty good, wasn't it? Xenopath, Cherif Ravine, pretty good. Pretty did well there, didn't we? You know, put a positive spin on it, Elijah. Things aren't that bad. Um, he said to Elijah, you need some sleep. Um, you need to eat. And then the angels came and cared for him tenderly. Um, and then God spoke to him in a whisper. And and I think when you're in that situation, your thoughts are just going crazy, you know. And um, there's that verse, isn't there, take captive every thought, which, again, is really unhealthily preached on. And mm. my friend said to me, which really helped me, he said, if you imagine your thoughts as trains, um, you'll know living in London, uh, the underground comes every two minutes. Yeah. And he said, you're never going to stop the train coming. He said, a lot of people take that verse and think you've got to bash the thought as soon as it comes into your head. Um, and he said, you know, whatever you resist persists. You know, it's a famous Carl Young says that. Yeah. So if I often say to people, you know, I don't want you to think about chocolate. Anyone listening to this now, please, <laughs> about chocolate. Chocolate, you know, just don't, don't think about it. And now some people are listening going, I'm really trying hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, Cause whatever is this persists. But he yeah. said, what you do is you let the train come and you decide whether you're going to get on that train or not. And you let the train go again. Um, and he said, sometimes what he does is he labels the train. Here's my, I'm going to die of cancer early train. Yeah. Um, I, I can't get on that today. And he said, you know what, if you do get on it, get off at the next stop. Don't yeah. let it take you on a journey. That's going to put you into a really negative zone. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it's about hearing the alternative voice. And sometimes it's just, you just need people to just not fix you. You need people to love you and just people to say, you know what? It's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. And just to be there alongside you. And yeah. so I say to people, get curious about your thoughts, doubt, question. I don't know how many preachers you hear say this doubt, question, get curious. Um, yeah. and, uh, think about what you're really thinking about. Don't always believe what you think. Yeah. Um, that's a good bit of advice. <laughs> well, okay. That's great. And, and, um, very often our churches are filled with problem solvers. We love solving a good problem. Yeah. And when it comes to the your problems of mental health, it's not a leg that is broken that you go to the doctor yeah. and you have a, you put, um, a plaster on it and it's fixed. You know, there isn't a pill that suddenly solves everything. Uh, but we want to come and solve problems. What What would you recommend to someone whose uh, friend or family member is really going through a difficult time and they don't seem to be able to shake themselves out of that negative zone right now? What would you recommend? 
I mean, you've said yeah. a few things there about what God doesn't do. So, you know, let's, let, let's yeah. not do what God doesn't do. But what would you yeah. recommend? Um, I think there's a number of really sort of practical things you can do. Um, one is, is try and be with your friend and be active. Um, you know, um, whether that's going for a walk together, mm. whether that's um, doing some sort of physical exercise, it's getting out of the house, yeah. um, be active. Um, I've already said about um, encouraging people to get curious about what they're thinking about. Um, you know, um, really think about what you're thinking about. Um, there's practical stuff. For me, um, I actually started looking at what my diet and what I was eating, um, which was a big one for me, actually, because yeah. I realized I started comfort eating um, around that whole time. So I think you be active, you get curious, you think about what you're eating. But I think it is this sense of... Um, helping them feel like there is no shame in struggling is that acceptance because i actually think when you a problem can never get solved and if it stays hidden um and so um it's getting to a place you know medication for some works um i think medication is a little bit like um it helps you get to a place where you're strong enough to deal with the root issues. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, the temptation is take a pill and I'm done. Yeah. Um, actually, it's part of holistic package, really, or, or providing support. So I, I definitely say there's no shame in taking medication. And, and sometimes, you know, I've often said to people as well, people that suffer from anxiety and depression, they're often really strong people. Yeah. You know, um, there's a book called The Curse of the Strong about clinical depression. Mm. And they say the personal characteristics of someone who's depressed are moral diligence, um, sensitivity, um, strength. Mm. They're often just people that have been strong for too long. Yeah. Um, holding anxiety, it together for too long. Yeah. And anxiety are often people that just care too much. That's how I define it in the book yeah. because um, they're sensitive. You know, if you've got anxiety and you get up every day and you go to work – and or you preach in church or you serve in your community or whatever you do, it takes so much energy. You're an incredibly strong person. And you're probably one of those really people that brilliant at empathy. You can work out where people mm. are at. And, you know, I have to say anxiety is like a car alarm. If it's going off all the time, it's annoying for you and for everyone else. Mm. Um, but actually, you're a caring and loving person. And when people say that, mm. they suddenly feel different about themselves. Yeah. You, um, and then one last thing I'd say on the friend is my um, my wife, Diane, she wrote a chapter in one of my books called Secondhand Smoke. And the whole idea, I mean, you'll know this as a leader, Chris, um, secondhand smoke can still kill you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, I was the one going through all the challenges and I was getting a lot of support, really. My wife was getting none. Mm. Um, and so we've been looking at how do we look after ourselves? Mm. How do you look after yourself? What are the things that we can do to fill our tank so, you know, it's that classic thing, you know, on a plane, put your own oxygen mask on first. Yeah. It feels wrong in some ways, um, but it's absolutely crucial if you're going to go and help your child. Mm. You cannot help your child without putting your own oxygen mm. mask on first. And so I think learning those sort of things is really yeah. helpful. We had a horrendous accident last year with a member of our church ended up dying as a part of a minibus accident. And everybody else in the minibus was fine apart from her. And sitting with everybody on the minibus and hearing what happened quite graphically ended up leaving me, uh, I couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares. I was replaying yeah. their story. I wasn't even there and I was replaying it. And I found myself just going downhill and, and getting to the point where I, I, I just felt sick inside. I just felt lost. And 
and it was all secondhand smoke. It was all it was somebody else's yeah. trauma that became my trauma that led me down a path. And I had to go. I went and saw a guy, and um, actually, it was the most profound hour of my life. And I came back, and my wife just looked at me. And she said, "Something's happened. Something has been lifted from you." And just mm-hmm. spending an hour with somebody where I could talk it through was. Mm-hmm incredible having others that you can just share honestly how you're doing can mm. be one of the biggest it's, it's not the secret thing no, but it's, it's, it's one uh, of the pieces of the jigsaw isn't it yeah. and the other thing i think is um when we're supporting people who have long-term depression it's a long-term relationship yeah 100%. You, you are committing not for a month or two you are committing to them for a long period of time yeah. and that is exhausting and actually unless you're caring for yourself you exactly. can't care for them no, and, and it is a commitment that we make and we, we often see people who get very excited about caring for somebody who has mental health issues and then after two months you know the the buzz of the being the savior is worn off yeah and then they turn away from the person they're, yeah. they're just too much hard work and that's the key what you just said there actually is we're not the savior yeah uh, um and you know like i said you know classic thing in counseling is you are not there to rescue that person mm. and you're right people start to heal when they feel listened to yeah um, which is interesting isn't it because we do a lot of talking in church <laughs> yeah. um and actually how do we create a culture where people feel really listened to yeah. um you know I think, um, there's famous quote you know people will forget what you say they forget what you do but they'll never forget how you make them feel mm. And someone feels really valued when someone feels um, really listened to. So uh, I think yeah. that's absolutely crucial. Yeah. And you're right, it is it's a roller coaster, you know. And, and the thing about mental health, sometimes you can go through seasons where you're feeling a lot a lot better and then suddenly there can be a trigger point. And, and again, one of the things that I've started to work out is I've worked out what my trigger points are. So I may dip, but I won't dip as far as I used to, um, which is a helpful thing to do. Tell us what you're working on at the moment, kasukihope.com. What, what are you working on right now that's particularly exciting you that you'd love people to know about? I'm loving um, working with churches. Um, my heart has always been for the local church. Um, and seeing these wellbeing groups start all over the country has been so exciting. And uh, like I said before, my wife wrote this 12-week course. And my home group, you know, we've been meeting for years. There were six of us. And uh, and I said to them, why don't we do this? And they're all a little bit cautious. Um, and I said, but let's not just do it for us. Let's go and invite people in our community. And, uh, and you know, I gave up my previous job, had no money. Um, and this time I've got a mortgage and four children, so it's a little bit more scary. And I think, I don't know if it's going to work. And so we started this little group and we went into people, um, just mums in the school playground, went, we're starting a Kintsugi Hope Wellbeing group. And they did exactly what most people do when, Kint what? And and then you describe it and they're like, oh, the gold thing. Yeah. The gold thing. But then, Chris, what really got to me was they go, oh, no, I get it. I'm broken. My husband's just left. I'm broken. I suffer from anxiety. I'm broken. Um, This has happened and that's happened. And uh, so our life group trebled in size and I'm sitting there the first week um, and uh, the first week's on honesty and Diane just says, turn to the person next to you and um, talk about a high point in your life and a low point in your life. And so I sat next to this guy who I've been in church with my whole life and, uh, and I learned more in five minutes than I've learned in 45 years of being in church. And I actually said to him, mate, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that we've created a culture where I didn't know you went through hell and back. And so what we're doing now 
from um, we spent a year piloting it. We piloted it in homeless hostels, in, in coffee shops, in different contexts. Is now any church across the UK can apply to Kintsugi Hope to run a wellbeing group in their community. And Chris, my heart for it is this: is I don't just want it to be a tick box thing. You know, we mm. do pastors, we do food bank, we do cap, we do these amazing things. Yeah. I really want emotional mental health to be at the heart of what a church is about. And that's why I've been saying, do it in your existing small groups. Don't have to create something else that you have to do. But this is part of who we are as a church. We're in every community across this country. Um, We're going to outlast every politician, um, particularly at the moment. It's not hard. But we're going to outlast every politician. And, uh, And we have something. We have hope. There is nothing better than your mental health than getting to know Jesus uh, because he is the model of, of good health. <laughs> if Because very often churches do church weekends away yeah, and they're looking for things just to inspire them that may, might then go on to something else. Is there something you could bring to a church weekend away on this that might inspire them to go from that place? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're producing a lot of resources around the whole honesty over silence thing. And uh, and I think that we've been to quite a few churches speaking and doing stuff like that. And it has created a very interesting conversation. And uh, I was down in Exeter recently and we did this whole thing in the church over the weekend. And, and they have now 25 different people wanting to run groups, which is incredible in every sphere of society as well, in, in the deaf school and, and for mums and, uh, and for men, you know, called man up groups and all that sort of stuff. So, so I just believe we've got to start the conversation. Right. And, uh, and I think yeah. community... And, you know, we've said it before, loneliness is the biggest killer of our society. Um, it really is. And in some ways, we're the most connected with our phones, and yet people are isolated. GPs are saying to us they're seeing between one and five lonely people a week, a day, rather. Mm. And we have a minister for loneliness. We have a minister for suicide prevention. Um, you know, suicide is the biggest killer Complete suicide is the biggest killer of young men. We've got to have this conversation. Um, the church have got to get involved, and uh, and I think it'll be good. It'll be good for us. That's great. How would somebody connect with you? What's the best way to connect? Uh, online, just you know, our website has got loads of info on it, um, and uh, and we're very relational. So the best thing is is to touch base drop us an email come and have a coffee that type of thing um we're working with so many different churches now and it's and what i love about the whole kintsugi thing and i think we've got to keep this is one size never fits all you know what you guys are are pioneering in bow will be different um so if you ran something in your community it'd be different to mine and so diane wrote the whole course in learning styles and and I think this is something I've seen work really well in the sense of we all learn differently, mm. and uh, and we use pray as a learning style, which is really clever. Um, so we pray at the start. Um, we have journals where people literally journal through, write psalms, write poems, draw great. Um, every week, and uh, and so I think that we need to do that. We need to create ways where people can really contextualise to where they're at. Patrick, thank you so much. I think that's, that is really, really helpful. And, uh, you know, you talked about doubt uh, earlier on. We've got a podcast coming out about the same time as this one around doubt. And uh, we want to, on this podcast, we want to talk about the things that others aren't really talking about or don't talk about. But we want yeah. to do it in a way that's not religious. It's just yeah. with a relationship with Jesus. Uh, yeah. as, a, as a part of that so Patrick thank you so much and it'd be great to pick this up again at some point with you yeah. 
bit further down the line when you've got some more thinking as well that we might be able to access yeah. and, and learn from. So, Patrick, thank you so much, and we'll speak to you soon. God bless. Thank Great you so much. Bye bye. Thank you.